The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, the fury over the Prime Minister's language simply seems to be growing. Yesterday, uh, the Prime Minister attacked opposition politicians, accusing them of surrender and sabotage, refusing to resign or even apologise. And we have MPs now back in the House of Commons this morning. They're taking urgent questions. And it sounds like the PM is not backing down. No, so he's been speaking to the 1922 Commission the a group of backbench Tory MPs reportedly telling them he won't be bullied for his choice of words. Uh, two people familiar talking about this uh, and, and the surrender bill, as he calls it, is a fair description of the no deal law. It's such strong rhetoric, of course, setting us up for this people versus parliament election that we are expecting and that the Tories are hoping for. Yeah, indeed. Of course, not going down well either with European uh, counterparts. Uh, this is being closely watched in the EU. Uh, so lots uh, to discuss this morning. Absolutely. Let's have a listen to Boris Johnson uh, from yesterday, dismissing all of these allegations that he used dangerous language. The focus of this uh, came around uh, Joe Cox, the Labour MP, who was killed in her constituency, of course, a week before the EU referendum. This is what Johnson had to say. What I will say is that the best way to honour the memory of Joe Cox and indeed the best way to uh, bring this country together would be, I think, to get Brexit done. Well, there we go. We had Joe Cox's husband, Brendan Cox, saying on Twitter that he felt a bit sick at Joe's name being used in this way. You've had some quite adverse reactions from many inside the House. Well, joining us now to discuss is Bloomberg's European News Director, David Merritt, and Therese Raffarel, our Bloomberg opinion columnist. Um, let me start with you, David. Do we think perhaps that Johnson went too far here? Well, that is the question being banded around this morning. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Joe Cox's uh, widower, uh, Brendan. He he, coming out on Twitter last night, he was on the BBC this morning on Radio 4 and taking a much more conciliatory tone. And he's followed that up again this morning saying, look, it's become it's beholden on all of us, he says, to dial down the rhetoric. Because, of course, you know, Mr. Johnson may use these words surrender. But, of course, you know, we have people chanting stop the coup and stop the fascist as well on placards outside Westminster. So, you know, it is coming from both sides, this temperature. I think what everyone can agree on is that the whole debate in the House of Commons went a bit too far last night. You know, people were pretty shocked. Uh, we had Laura Kunzberg from the BBC saying she'd never seen anything quite like it. But of course, you know, there's a the point is here that Mr. Johnson seems to be playing um, this this whole strategy of confrontation. You know, we've been drip fed this, haven't we, in, mm. in weeks in 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 the recent weeks that we're we're setting ourselves up for this people versus Parliament. So it, whether it's gone too far or not, it seems to be his plan. Yeah, I mean. 
is absolutely fiery. Um, let's bring in uh, Therese Raphael. EU officials who are closely involved in the Brexit negotiations say that the scenes in the House of Commons and this use of the word surrender by the Prime Minister um, will basically make getting a deal between the UK and the EU even more difficult. The EU summit is only three weeks away. Yeah, I mean, I think from the EU perspective, we have to ask what incentive do they have to do a deal now? I mean, you could construct the case that says, well, you know, they'd really like to be rid of Britain at this point. Um, They'd like to have Brexit done. Um, They'd like to avoid the costs of no deal. And there may be what they call a landing zone around, um, you know, it has been discussed a sort of uh, Ireland only backstop, Mm -hmm. a a kind of, you know, using uh, an agriculture um, uh, free sort of trade area and other policies. But really, the EU doesn't know what it's dealing with because it has a prime minister who's, you know, in in office, but not really in power, a potential election coming up. And it has the Ben Act, which is this crucial piece of legislation that was passed before parliament was suspended that um, uh, forces the prime minister to seek an extension if he can't get a deal. So I think we could expect the EU to say, you know, to sort of stand back, say shock horror, you know, but um, I, I don't think You know, we're still in the realm of sort of posturing now. And we have the Tory party conference coming up next week. I don't expect to see any movement on negotiations before that in any case. Mm. So to get a deal, of course, we need MPs on board as well. And one of the people in the Labour Party who's bringing uh, some sort of a deal is is Stephen Kinnock. And he, of course, was a good friend of Joe Cox's. Is there a risk here that Johnson's rhetoric is alienating MPs like that and making a deal even less likely? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. And we've heard from some of them this morning. Um, I think Diane Abbott this morning saying, look, after those sorts of words being banded around the chamber, any sense that the Labour, some band of leave supporting uh, Labour MPs would fall in behind a deal, that's gone out the window because the atmosphere has just become... Uh, too toxic. And we know that Mr. Johnson isn't going to get all of his own side on board of any deal. So how is any deal, whatever it looks like, with with whatever patch is put over the backstop, how is there a sense that anything is going to get through this parliament? You know, we, yeah. we still can't see one. And I just want to um, get in there with a little bit of sound. Have a listen to Labour's Paula Sheriff, uh, because she was also one of the opposition uh, party members criticising this inflammatory language. Have a listen. So that was uh, Labour's Paula Sherriff speaking yesterday in Parliament. But I also want to dip in now live to the House of Commons because Jess Phillips, uh, the Labour MP, is speaking there. And she's often quite a powerful speaker. So let's have a listen to her. I don't just want to probe into the idea that we all get abuse. And no doubt we're going to hear a lot of that today because we all get abuse. And I've had a death threat this week that literally quoted the Prime Minister and used the Prime Minister's name and words in a death threat that was delivered to my staff. Um, So we know that it it gets out. What I want to look at today and what I want answers to today is when there is a clear strategy to divide. The use of language yesterday and over the past few weeks, such as the surrender bill, such as invoking the war, such as talking about betrayal and treachery, it has clearly been tested and workshopped and worked up 
and it is entirely designed Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley. Interesting to see um, some of the stuff she's talked about in the past. In a single night last year, she had more than 600 threats of, of rape. Um, she was talking yesterday also about um, Boris Johnson. She says the only person who surrendered anything here is him, and he surrendered his, uh, his morality. So you're getting a kickback here. Interesting to hear from Nigel Evans, though, who said that this is going on on, on both sides. Do we need to take a step back here, Therese, do you think? Do you think everything's just got a little bit too heated uh, and that this just maybe isn't conducive to getting anything done, even now that we have the time? Yeah, I mean, I think that's almost, uh, you know, that that's almost a given now that it's gotten too heated. Uh, Boris Johnson has had these controversies over his language for a very long time. His art, you know, his columns for the Daily Telegraph referring to, uh, you know, women who wear the burqa as, you know, resembling letterboxes was hugely yeah. controversial. And there's a long list of them. He's always batted them back and said, you know, this is who I am. I use, uh, you know, I use this this sort of language, but that's how I get my point across. I mean, it's different when you're prime minister and you're the head of government. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think if we we're if we we're going to say anything about it, it's all he has. This is his stock and trade and his his, you know, number one goal right now is to get an election and to fight the election on those uh, terms, as David said, which is people versus parliament. Uh, David Merritt, um, what do you think that, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn has talked about this language being indistinguishable from the far right, but then the, the issue from the uh, from the uh, Tory leader is that he wants an election to happen. I mean, he, he's kind of lost uh, any kind of power in this situation. Right. Has it? So where do we go from here? I mean, other than listening to MPs, you know, talking about the seriousness and the divisiveness of the situation, what business do we actually get done? Yeah, well, none. I mean, obviously, I mean, Therese mentioned we're going to have the Tory conference this weekend. Somehow they're going to have to squeeze that in around Parliament, but we'll get the usual set-piece speeches. They'll be laying out their agenda. Um, but, you know, as she said, also, they're in uh, they're in office, but not in power. And he has sacked his own majority. Uh, he doesn't have any way to get any other legislation through. So, no, but, you know, for now, the, the Labour Party are holding his feet for the fire. They actually hold the cards as to when this election takes place. And they're going to keep doing that as it makes the Prime Minister more and more uncomfortable. The question is, how much of this is the public really noticing? Mm. How much is this filtering through? How much are they watching uh, these slanging matches yeah, in the Commons? fatigue. Yeah. And Brexit fatigue, and do they just want to get this election done as well? I mean, you know, I think that is the question that we still don't really know. And of course, the Conservatives, despite all of this, they are ahead in the polls. Remember, the Labour Party at sort of historic lows. And Boris Johnson, if they're an election, look, and it's going to come, whether it's in a month or two or three months, it's coming certainly before 2022. Um, and the person who you should, would still put your money on to win it is Boris Johnson. David, I've got to pick you up on the polls. We had one in the Daily Mail today from Servation. Um, it, the Tory party doing very well in the polls. But here, this one saying that more than half of Tory voters thought Johnson himself should quit. How do we reconcile those two? It seems paradoxical. Yeah, that's an interesting stat, isn't it? I mean, I think maybe it is filtering a bit through to people. You know, I mean, he crossed a bit of a rubricon, didn't he? I mean, uh, um, uh, misleading the Queen. Yes. You know, that's not going to go down well with some core Tory voters. And I think the same survey points to the kind of the displeasure amongst his own that side. That a lot of people that. thought and still believe that he should apologise directly apologize. for, you know, um, for, for giving a poor advice, unlawful advice to the Queen. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. 
Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. But first of all, I want to dig into the most thought-provoking pieces in the newspapers today. Uh, We did mention the poll that was published in the Daily Mail, um, but there are some really interesting lines. I mean, mainly on the issue of the early general election, that more than half of people think that that uh, should happen. That's 55% of people saying yes, 29% saying no, 16% don't know. A lot less certainty, though, when it comes to the aides who urged um, this suspension of Parliament, that seems to be an issue that the public is more confused about. Yeah, but still more than half saying that Johnson should sack the advisers who recommended the plan. We're talking here, of course, about Dominic Cummings. Yeah. I, I wonder but whether... 27% say no and 21% say that they don't know. So that's quite a hefty chunk too. It is. I, I wonder whether people are making the link here and know who these advisers are and what they've done in the past because I think that just hasn't filtered through to the general public yet. Uh, maybe I'm living in a bubble here, but <laughs> I, I, I wonder if people know what Dominic Cummings' past was and the sort of things he's achieved. Yeah, well, listen, we're definitely living in a bubble. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so you and I, uh, but listen, um, no, I think also the other thing is the state of the parties um, in terms of the polling figures. Actually, the Liberal Democrats are getting a little bounce higher. They're uh, looking a little stronger in the polls. Labour sort of holding steady and the Tory party, the Conservatives, seeing an, a slight ebbing away, just slight in terms of popularity with the public. But they're still far ahead of Labour, right? Yes, and that's that's crucial, really, because, of course, Labour is an opposition. You would expect them to be doing better. They've trailed uh, the Tories for, for for a while now. And this is when we've got Boris Johnson at the helm making comments like this, although this poll, I think, was taken after the Supreme Court decision, but before yesterday's yes, shenanigans. Yes, exactly. That's exactly when it was done. And the people who were polled were quite scathing about the Supreme Court decision, or indeed Johnson's behaviour surrounding it, almost two-thirds saying that he should apologise to the Queen. But it seems like if, if the Tories are holding up... That this is wa- washing off him in a sense. Yeah, in a, in a sense. But look, 62% of people say that Boris should say sorry to the Queen. So, you know, that's still a kind of lightning rod issue. Um, but look, what about uh, away from uh, the Daily Mail and from that poll? This Bloomberg opinion piece, which, uh, which I thought was a really great read, Lionel Laurent, who often speaks to us here on Bloomberg Radio, writing that Brexit can get much more toxic from here. That Johnson, yes, he's on the ropes, but actually European diplomats can also see that the political bedlam that we're going through in the UK lends itself to delay without decisions. There's there's real concern. Yeah, and the flip side of that is Jenny Russell writing in the Times today, who's urging for a little bit more cooperation from the more moderate parts of Parliament. She says that now, for the first time since 2016, Parliament has been freed from having to follow a Brexit agenda that's dictated by the Tory right. She says MPs face a choice. They should come together and find a Brexit that everybody loses from. And in that sense, we have some sort of a resolution. Then we get an election. Then the parties can put forward their visions for where they want Britain to go from here. She says there should be no triumphant winners nor furious losers, just a small country trying to build lives worth living. Okay, so many more months potentially. Uh, Right, so that's a little look at the newspapers and Bloomberg opinion pieces. And now I want to bring you the interview that I did with the Lord Mayor of London, Peter Eslin. He says that the city wants a Brexit resolution. He spoke to me yesterday from Cyber which is the global financial services event organised by SWIFT. Uh, The city's chief uh, cheerleader adding that financial services and the industry are still planning for multiple Brexit outcomes. I mean, the city's position fundamentally hasn't changed, which is, uh, as we've said all along, 
continuing to have a, a deal framework with Europe uh, is paramount, and certainly bringing that to resolution uh, is very much at the top of the city's agenda. But at the same time, the city isn't stopping, uh, stopping for Brexit. We're not waiting for a resolution. We're getting on and doing what we do best, which is innovating and creating jobs. Uh, and that's very much at the heart of this week, what we're doing at Cybos. So, you know, frankly, we're not holding our breath. Yeah, I know that you're going to be speaking at the Cybos Global Leaders Forum later today, and I want to get on to that. But look, first first of all, is the city actually ready for Brexit? The Prime Minister, um, despite the defeats that he has suffered um, uh, in the courts, is saying that he is planning to push on with Brexit, whether there is a deal with Europe or not, on the 31st of October. Is the city ready? Well, I think the city has has been ready for a while in terms of individual businesses have done, again, what they do best, which is planning for different outcomes. You know, we have seen a, a few jobs uh, leave and, and relocate um, to position themselves to carry on trading with, with um, uh, or across Europe. But equally, as I said, at the same time, you know, the, 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 the mechanics of business are that, that we're, not, we're not waiting for that resolution because the world is still moving ahead with digitization and, uh, and, the, and environmental issues around green finance. So we're pushing ahead with business around the world uh, and doing what the city does best. We're, we're not waiting for that resolution, albeit we've, we've planned for, for different outcomes. Yeah, and I do think it's quite fascinating, obviously, keeping track of the jobs. You know, there was a lot of concern that a lot of finance jobs would swiftly lead the City of London. And a, lo- a lot of that um, concern has dissipated as those financial jobs have actually stayed put. Is that something that you've seen too? Yeah, I mean, I think we originally uh, saw estimates of, of maybe up to 10,000 jobs uh, sort of relocating to sort of Dublin and Luxembourg. But frankly, the latest news coming out from those who are sort of closer to the, to, to the wire has said that, you know, that the number of jobs that have actually relocated are perhaps in the lower thousands, you know, one or two thousand. But in the contrast, you know, since the referendum, you know, the number of people working in the city coming into the city from, from international locations has grown. So we're up sort of 35,000 people. Um, So net, sort of nearly 30,000 people in that same period. Uh, And I take an example like fintech. You know, 42% of that workforce now are international people tapping into this ecosystem, this international ecosystem that that is continuing to, you know, to create economic growth and jobs. Um, The Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the bid for the London Stock Exchange, uh, it seems to be continuing. The Hong Kong exchanges and clearing, uh, you know, basically trying to launch a charm offensive. Um, I mean, what do you make of that possible tie up and perhaps away from the sort of specific deal issues, the idea that actually London could become a major renminbi yuan trading centre as we see the growth of FX trading actually here in the, in the city of London? Well, let, let's start with the facts. London already is uh, the largest international market for RMB trading outside of, uh, of Greater China. So, so we're already in that position. We're not arrogant. We want to continue to, to develop that market. Uh, look, it's, it's not for me to comment on the individual transaction. Shareholders will do that. But I think let's look at some of the factors taking place around the world. You know, consolidation does have its benefits, um, and that may well be a play. But equally, one of the most exciting things I thought that was on the table was the London Stock Exchange's deal with Refinitiv, because at the heart of the Cybos conference this week is the whole discussion around how mass digitization 
uh, and data-driven relationships are starting to really fundamentally change the way business is getting done. So looking at the collaboration of raising capital with the role that data is playing, to my mind, is a very exciting, dynamic proposition. So, look, it, it will be for others to decide, but I think there's some interesting options on the table here, uh, and, you know, shareholders will do what shareholders do best in thinking about the long-term best strategy for, for, for their business. Um, give us a flavour then of Cybos, um, which is obviously this huge conference um, uh, from SWIFT, uh, the global payment system, taking place in London, annual event. Um, you know, taking a kind of reading of what people are saying there, I mean, is Brexit going to be potentially a threat? I mean, we're, we're seriously interconnected, the UK and Europe. H- how does Brexit affect um, you know, the new era of, of data sharing? Well, look, I don't want to disappoint you, but my certainly my participation in Cybos to date uh, this week and what I expect today is that Brexit largely won't be a factor. Uh, why? Because, you know, fundamentally, the, the digitization of our industry, the sort of the hyper-connected world that we live in, um, is already way in advance of how our trading relationships around the world are already operating. Business is, is pushing the boundaries. Uh, And so there is a genuine desire on the one hand to see what frameworks are needed as we move towards digitized and cryptocurrencies and and other forms of of trading. So exploring how that is likely to develop uh, is a real key part of the conference. But alongside that is also businesses' responsibility as to how it is taking consumers and clients with them. Uh, And that's been very much at the heart of my personal mayoral agenda and something I'm going to talk about this afternoon because you know, in, in embracing digital skills and launching our own Future.Now on 1010, it, bringing together a coalition of businesses and civic society to say, look, how are we taking everybody with us? Because as business advances and creates economic uh, options uh, and, and, and economic growth, we also need to be ensuring that people have uh, access to that in a safe uh, and reliable way. So that was the Lord Mayor of London, Peter Eslin, speaking to me uh, yesterday uh, and the city take on Brexit. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.